So as I think about some of the things in my life, um, I'll never forget this one time I had an opportunity to work with uh, Dave Curie, and I already told him this morning I was going to talk about him a little bit. And uh, if you don't know who Dave Curie is, he's one of our ushers, and uh, um, it doesn't take long for you to recognize him because uh, he has a smile. He has a smile that's uh, inviting and warm. Uh, not only does he have a smile, but he uh, really cares, and he uh, loves to hear your story. And I know that he is one that prays. He also prays. But back when I was in college, I had a wonderful opportunity to uh, work with Dave and uh, work at Valley Vinyl. Um, this at the time, I had another job as well. I was working at Larson's um, Superstore. And what a store that was. Um, man, you had all your appliances and stereo and furniture. And uh, that job was amazing itself. So during the day, I'd be working there. And then uh, Dave comes along and says, hey, I was wondering if you can help me out on a, a two-week project. And I said, well, what does that entail? He's like, well, it's graveyard, first of all. I was like, oh, boy, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can work graveyard and then also work during the day at Larson's. I don't know if you need a tired person working in the warehouse moving stuff around. Um, but I pulled it off. I worked with him. And uh, it wasn't um, long into the time that I was like, what did I just sign myself up to do? So one of our jobs was to go to the Red Lion at the time, downtown Mefford. It's not there anymore. I think it's Lark's. Um, the lounge part, the restaurant part, was looking to refurbish their furniture. And uh, that means we had to go down there with a trailer, and pull out the booths, and this is the reason why you had to do it at Graveyard, because it wasn't open. So we had to take their booth out, put it on the, uh, the flatbed truck, take it back to the shop. And what we did to it, that was the awesome part. Demolition. You guys ever have an opportunity to do demolition at all? I mean, it is fun just ripping things and destroying it. And, and uh, so that's what we did. We took the old fabric off. And uh, quickly, I learned right away what's going on underneath all this furniture. And uh, man, there's just layers and layers of foam. I don't know if you guys realize that when you go sit down in a restaurant booth, you're sitting on just layers of foam. And then behind that, there's all this old glue that's stuck to the wood frame. And then we had to take that off. And that was the hardest part of the job. This is the part that really, really was painful. So you take a scraper, and you get right into that wood, and you're just like scraping the, the old glue off. And, and there would be times where your tool would just slip, and then you just hit your hand, hand your knuckles on the wood, and all of a sudden just, you're bleeding and everything. And, then, and this is what really got us through the night, Mountain Dew. So when you have a moment like that, you got to go grab a Mountain Dew. It's like, i gotta, I'll be right back. i got to get some Mountain Dew. Pop some Mountain Dew open and go back to it. And uh, is that right, Dave? I mean, Mountain Dew kept us alive, kept us going. And I'm sure there's new technology and drinks out there now today. I'm sure ener energy drinks out there are more helpful. But Mountain Dew is what kept us alive. And so we're just scraping away and getting it all the way down to the original wood underneath. And then it was time to put the new glue on, and that smelled great. So not only did you have some Mountain Dew in your system, but you got some fresh glue going. I mean, it was like, I love this job. Man, this thing is just great. I mean, we had to open up the doors and everything. So it was really fun, though. I got to learn how to spray that on. And uh, I think I had a mask. Probably should have had a mask. And <laughs> And then we're spraying, you know, and then we're putting the new foam back on, and then we're putting the new upholstery on, 
which he puts all together. I don't know how uh, they do that. It's, it's, it's all stitched just right so that when it goes in there and it's pulled tight and reestablished through tacks and put back on, it's perfect. We put it back on the flatbed and back to the red line we go with the new booth. And I share that story with you because there's a couple of questions that parallel to a physical story like that to our spiritual story, to the story of God, a God who is at work restoring you. So your soul is like that. Your soul is like an old piece of furniture that needs to be repurposed, transformed, and renewed. So a couple questions this morning as we take a look at the process of how God restores and renews out of Ephesians chapter 4. How about you? Do you feel that you are like something that needs to change? Do you feel like there needs a change to take place in your life? How about the tension of overcoming living with addictions maybe or anger? Or how about this, the glory of you? I'm going to expand on that just a little bit this morning. The glory of you. Shame and disobedience towards God. And why would you want to change? Maybe you like the way that you are. And do you want to change the way that you are proving yourself to God, others, and yourself? Well, I have good news for you this morning. The answer is you can change. It is possible for your soul to change. It is possible for you if you're in a place in your life where it seems like addictions have taken over, you can change. Maybe there's a, a habit that's established in your life and you're finding that you're just going in circles with it. It just keeps coming back around. You found that there's routine around it and you're having a hard time trying to move away from it. You might be using some of the tools that we do around the New Year's resolution. You know, if I stop this, then maybe this will happen. The good news is that there is change available for you. So the big idea this morning, as Paul was talking about in his reading, he likes to use words sometimes that just get kind of crammed into American language and to English. Um, he uses terminology learned. So if you look at the text right there, you'll see um, right in there, uh, this is how you learned. And um, we discover the truth about the old self, the new self, through the gospel conversations so that we desire to live as a new creation, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. I know that went by really fast, so we're going to dive in and take a look and see what's going on with that. So as you look at verse 17 through 19, let's look at the text now. Now this I say and testify to the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the fertility of their minds, but they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. So in this verse right here, 17 through 19, I titled this part, No Longer Be Like Meistic. Meistic, meaning the focus of me, the glory of me. See, the non-believing Gentiles were, were that, Whatever their lust provided, whatever their flesh desired, go after it. Me, 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 and more me. 
So Paul testifies to the listener and the reader about the unbelieving Gentiles. And Paul describes the non-believing Gentiles as meistic, focused on whatever they can get out of it, focused on their own heart, their own ideas, finding truth in their own ideas, finding truth in philosophy, finding truth in human ideas. The emphasis of the mind in regards to the knowledge and fear and grace of God, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, they completely did not want to believe in that. Their mind desired vanity. Here are some things that they looked forward to. Happiness is found in worldly riches and honors. The mind desires vanity and philosophy and finds answers to life through the acts of polytheism. I know it's a big word for you, but it is where the worship or belief of multiple deities, usually assembled in pantheons of gods and goddesses, along with their own religions and rituals. So again, it was a focus on gods. It was a focus on others. And we have to firmly believe that we know where this comes from. This comes from Satan himself. What a great strategy that Satan has is to get people to focus on me. And the reason why there's such a great focus there is because they were finding desire to find truth within the human mind. That's where they would go to find answers to life. That's where they would go to find answers to any situation. They would go and look at nature and and see how nature interacted with the world, and, and that was it. That was the answer. Let's do like what the birds are doing, or let's do what the animals were doing. So that was them and then. What about now? How do we see that happening? How do we see in today's culture and our way of life these things rolling out? Because we don't hear those terminologies like polytheism, but we can hear the conversations around culture, around Satan himself, and around our flesh in phrases like this. Everything is true is coming from our mind that is the source source of truth. This is actually a conversation that I've heard in in universities, in, in, in colleges. Um, some of the statements that I got was somebody took some time to just walk the campus and interview students and find out how they find truth and meaning of life. I interpret truth through science, ideology like communism. Well, that's going to get you really far. That was a true statement by someone that's built their whole life on finding truth and and different ideas and, and finding the outcome in practice through the practice of communism. Here's another one. Truth comes from different value systems and different beliefs. How far is that going to get you? Hopefully you can start to see a pattern here as people lean in and find answers and truth within me, with your human soul. Or answers from the way that we all interact with each other through behavior. You're going to find that it's just a a cycle that never ends. One of the wonderful things I enjoy doing when we're rafting is that we'll get on a river where it has a really defined eddy. That's what they call them. It's It's a portion of water that comes off the main part of the river. And it goes into this little cove and it just circles around. And if you get a really nice big one, really 
big one that's kind of deep and healthy that doesn't have a lot of uh, entrapments in it. That's what we call it. You can't have entrapments in it. We'd jump out with just our life vests, and then we'd jump into the eddy and just let it kind of spin us around. And then we'd come out to the main water, and we'd just kind of swim in really hard and really fast and get back in and just sit there and just spin around. And eventually the goal was to get everyone into this off the raft. So we'd all hang on to each other's life vests, and we'd create a train. It was pretty cool. It was lots of fun. And then we'd come out of that, and then we'd come back into the main river. And so that's just exactly it with humanistic ideas, humanity, you're just like in an eddy, just cycling around. There's moments where it just seems like there's probably growth in your life. Maybe there was a new idea. Maybe there was a new thought. Maybe there was new hope. And maybe there was a moment of change in your life. But then why did it come back around again? Continue on in verse 18. It says, darken in their understanding." They are ignorant about who God is, his holiness, righteousness, about sin and consequences of it. I find sometimes in conversation people will say that uh, people aren't really uh, monsters, people aren't really sinful, they're just misunderstood. Have you heard that one? They're just misunderstood. No, it's sin, brokenness, ignorant of the consequence of it, ignorant of the truth, ignorant about Christ and who he is and the work that he has completed on the cross. Ignorant about the Holy Spirit and the work of grace upon the soul. This is the life of the non-believing Gentile. And we can see that in the examples again in today's present time. Again, they go on to the street and have interviews with people. They ask questions, who do you think Jesus Christ is? Jesus is a high power, a prophet that I don't know who he really is. I just know that he is a great prophet. And he likes people. That he does. God is many things to many people. God is more than a feeling than a deity. So this idea that he's a feeling. Something that was made out of our imagination and thought process. The Holy Spirit is a greater power out there. And I don't know what that means for me. But I know <clears throat> excuse me, that there is a greater power. See, they're alienated from the life of God, as Paul says. Alienated, as he continues, from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. The spiritual heart, the natural spiritual heart is hard and so remains that way until grace awakens it and gives it life. And this is all the result because of the Garden of Eden. In the first accounts, back in the origin, we have Eve, who uh, took part in the fruit that was forbidden for them. And it's a true story. And if you're not a believer here and you're kind of wrestling with that, I was like, man, that just sounds funny. That just, that is really hard to understand. Well, just let that sit. But just think about the truth in this. We have a God who clearly made it very clear that he knows us, that we have been identified in him that we are created after his image, that we are completely separate from animals. Although some animals probably have, you know, some personalities. We just recently uh, have a puppy in our family. How many of you guys have puppies in your families right now? Good, you're tired. You're not sleeping, are you? Yeah. Whew. <laughs> it's just like having a little infant in your house again. But it doesn't take long to see, you know, how they take to you. They have little games that they play, and they have a little personality. But still, we are set apart. We are still different than an animal. 
Because we have intellect. We have will. We are created in the image of God to be like him. And so he tells Eve, and, and, and Eve just continues on and eats the fruit, and all suddenly her eyes are awakened. And Adam partakes, and his eyes are open, and they are open and opens this whole story of the fall and sin and brokenness that gets passed on to generations after generation after generation. And if you're sitting there going, that's not fair, you know, yeah, I mean, it's just, it, that's what it is. It's part of God's curse and fall, and the outcome is now, right after that, this is what's really cool later on in Genesis 3, that uh, after he kicked them out of the garden, he made garments for them. And this is the beginning of a restoring part of the story. So there was an animal sacrifice that took place in order to get these garments and gave them clothes to wear because the fig leaves, it just wasn't going to cut it. And thank goodness, right? Yeah. So we see this story of, of God reclaiming, restoring, repurposing, and giving people the opportunity for a new life and to be a new creation. But then the heart is still hard. The heart still has the residue of sin and brokenness. And in its natural state, it is hardened towards the things of God. And that's why naturally, men and women, and if there's some students in here, boys and girls, this is why you naturally are disobedient. Nobody's ever taught you how to disobey. Nobody's ever said, hey, go over and Disobey me. I, I want to give you a very clear command of what you're supposed to do, but I just want you to learn how to disobey me right now so we can have this fight and interaction. No, I mean, especially with a child, they know right away, no, I don't want to do that. Where does that come from? It comes from the separation, alienation from God and a broken heart. So this heart has a true story in a physical heart. Uh, my grandma, uh, when I was in college, uh, passed away at 72. Later on, um, finding out the whole story that when she was born, she was born without a, a valve in her heart. And so the doctor told her that she wasn't going to live long. And I think the doctor was wrong. It seemed like 72 is a good time, you know, full life. But over a period of time, because that heart valve was missing, the heart had to work really, really hard and it was, it was pumping harder, and it was creating more friction and, and more work on the heart to the point where it actually created a physical callus on her heart, and that's what finally stopped her heart. The heart was working so hard with that callus on it that it finally took her life. And I was thinking about that. It's like that's what's happening with our spiritual heart. There's times when that callus starts to grow and develop. So Paul's going into verse 19. He says, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. They were openly volunteering to sin and giving in to the power of sin with great desire. There was no hesitation. Let's do this again. Let's, in fact, let's even do it greater. Let's do it with glory. Let's just go after this. I love it so much. It doesn't take long to see some of that pattern in our own life when it comes to sin. There are things that we just, man, I love it. I love to sin. And those areas that we want to elevate that sin because it was so good. So they openly volunteer. And there's a word for this called 
omission. It's doing it. It's, it's not only recognizing that it's wrong, which they didn't have that capability, but for us that are in Christ, we recognize some things that we need to move away from, but when we still choose to sin, we are choosing it out of that disobedience, out of that loss of sensitivity because of the callous that could be on our heart. They committed to every unclean act of lust and never were satisfied with sinning and craving for more lust and pleasure. So examples of that in our present time. Uh, sex outside of a, uh, the context of marriage, covenant, uh, porn, money, power, anger, um, desiring what your neighbor has and wanting it. So Paul is testifying to the Lord, in the Lord, that all things we find in an unbelieving Gentile is simply this, meistic. Now, that's a terminology that I heard a while back from a gentleman, Paul Tripp. So he gets all the credit for that word. I didn't come up with that on my own. But I like it because it's simplifying the fact that meistic is this, worshiping the glory of me, you and we, living the life of a natural person and being proud of it, living the life of a natural person and looking to define truth from blindness and from our humanity. Meistic. Like an unbelieving Gentile, an unbelieving person today, we are surrounded by our worldview that can give you plenty of material and plenty of desire to be meistic. iPhone 7 is ready to come out. It's already out. <laughs> you can chase after that. It's like, yes, I want that. You guys can do that. I'm not saying don't do that. But. <laughs> but I'm just saying as our culture, it's just one thing after another, just something new, something new all the time. But in that context, this is what we're hearing. You can be a better you if you had that. You have power to overcome the trauma in your life. Just be a better you. Try these steps Five ways to be a better you. Have you guys heard any of these things? You know, they show up. Five ways to uh, improve on this. There is no doubt that people, humans, can do great things without God. I mean, think about it. We can build big buildings, cars, homes, take care of the needs regarding mercy and justice. We can feed people. We can alter things. We can create laws and and vote for this, and I mean, we could do great things. Some of you guys are really crafty. You can make some really beautiful things with your hands. Some of you guys are not crafty, and you can't make beautiful things with your hands. <laughs> but you can still do great things. Maybe you speak really well. Maybe you encourage really well. Maybe you can work really well. Maybe there's some of you that just love working. And then there's some of you that don't like working. But it's amazing what we can accomplish on a human level. The list can go on and on. But here's the reason why we can accomplish great things. It's because we're created in the image of God. Where did it all come from? God. He gave you the ability to create. 
He gave you the ability to design. He gave you the ability to think outside of the box, in a sense. He's blessed you. He's granted you. He's brought about, brought about success in your life. So even if you're a non-believer sitting here going, you know, I don't know God and I don't want to give him any credit, well, you're going to have to wrestle with this tension. You're going to have to give him credit because he's doing it. He's the one that is giving you life. Regardless if you recognize that or not, he is giving you life. He is giving you the ability to breathe. He's giving you this day. It's a whole brand new thing for you. And that's all coming from God, not from you. We are created to worship him and enjoy his glory. The problem is sin and the result of sin creates this meistic worship of the glory of me, you, and we. Our natural self at times wants to believe in this uh, meistic glory. And at times we want to believe we can find truth in a way like the unbelieving Gentiles. I I know in my own life, my own personal life, I, I recognize who God is. I recognize the work that Jesus Christ has done in my life. I knew I am a new believer. But I tell you guys, there's just times where this tension still comes up like, God, thank you, but I think I got it from here. I think I got this because I probably can do it just a little bit faster. I don't know if you guys have ever been in a situation where there was a huge decision that needed to be made and you go before you God and you're praying for a long time, but you know, your just flesh is wrestling with you. You're listening to the voices inside. You're like, you know, I'm going to make the leap. Maybe this, I mean, we play around with this, don't we? Then I go, maybe this is what God wants me to do. Maybe he's not making it very clear so that he actually wants me to step out and take action. And I find out very quickly. So here it is, okay? So I had this opportunity um, to buy a little sedan. It was time, you know, we were living up in Albany and uh, we're driving all over the place looking for something that uh, would give us great gas mileage. And it's because at that time, you know, gas mileage was almost $4 a gallon. And I see this little car, and I'm like, okay, I see some things that need to be worked on, and, and I can do those things. But farther we got into this car, more things started showing up. For example, coming back from Portland one time, right around Salem, all of a sudden this really loud knocking sound happens in the engine. da 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 I mean, it just sounded like the whole engine's going to blow up. So I pull off, get to a uh, mechanic who's just right off the highway, and he walks out, and he says, okay, start up your car. I want to take a listen. As soon as I start up, he's like, turn it off, turn it off. <laughs> and found out later that I blew a rod. Engine toast. Done. How about you? How can you believe in any kind of change when trying to find answers from ideology that is limited to brokenness and weakness? So how do we seek the glory that comes from only God and not from our own glory? Let's continue on. Let's go back to that idea of learned Christ. Paul, you are so funny with your words, but learned Christ. If anything you remember at all this morning, remember that crazy little word there, learn Christ. So in verse 20, let's take a look at verse 20 and 21. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard him and were taught in him as truth in Jesus Christ. In contrast to unslaved Gentiles, Christians find truth in Jesus Christ and not from a meistic theology or ideology. We find that in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and I'll read it. 
And we all, with unveiled faces, behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Did you catch that? Did you hear that good news? Real change and transformation comes from Jesus Christ. And transforming us, the believer's mind, to be sanctified, to be no longer meistic. They are no longer aliens from God, and their hearts are no longer hard or impure. I love how the story goes. So again, it kind of parallels to the first story I shared with you about repurposing furniture. Who was doing the work? Well, Dave and I were scraping away. Let's put it in the spiritual context. Who is doing the work in your soul? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ stripping away old glory, old thoughts, old lies, old self, stripping it away, stripping it away. And then he puts on a new glue. He changes us from one glory to the other in Christ. Your life is transformed, Paul is saying. Remember that. That's how you learn Jesus. In fact, with them, they actually got to hang out with Jesus. Some of these disciples probably had conversations with Jesus. They actually saw him up on the cross being nailed. They saw him being put in the grave. They interacted with this truth. And Paul's going back to this problem, this concern that he had. And, of course, he's writing this letter while he's in prison. He's writing it to the church of Ephesus. And he's writing it with some forethought, knowing that in his absence, there is the possibility for false teachers to come along to move them back to the unbelieving Gentile way of life and thoughts. But no, he's going, remember what you learned. This is how you learned. This is how you learn new ideas. This is where you learn truth. You found it in Jesus Christ. We are often having multiple conversations or thoughts within us about life, culture, government, leadership, people, family, friends, and other things. So when these conversations are focused on the meistic, it has the outcome of the flesh. It has the outcome at times of stoniness. I don't know if you ever have a conversation with somebody that, who is a believer, and all of a sudden you just start talking about government and politics, okay? This is a good one because we're right there right now in our culture and our life. You guys are having these conversations. And here Christ has transformed us and made us new. But all of a sudden there's this just leaking out at times a stoniness towards certain ideas and thoughts that are not coming from Christ. But they're coming still from this meistic idea. So that happens in the idea of conversations. I want to be very clear on this. I'm not talking about conversations in your head where you're like crazy, okay? But if we just pull this back for a minute and think about it, think about what you listen to. Think about the phrases that enter into your mind and come across your heart. There's a lot of them. Phrases like, you're not good enough. If only you would try this, this is how God would see you. I mean, there's times where we're even just really hard on ourselves. There isn't a person in here that misses out on this. This is all of us. Conversations, phrases, thoughts, ideas. The culture has phrases that you hear all the time. And everything that comes from culture and from the worldview is from the non 
Gentile mindset. It's everything that will glorify the self. Satan himself is coming after you, along with his demons and helpers. And then not only that, on top of it, your flesh alone, the brokenness, the part that is still being sanctified and renewed, speaks lies and untruth to you. You're like, Jeff, I thought you were giving us good news. Well, I am giving you good news, but I also want you to see the reality that you're in trouble. And you can't save yourself. Paul is revealing how a believer can learn Christ through gospel conversation. Because he goes back to that. A couple questions. How do people learn Christ today? We can't physically walk with Jesus, so how do people go about learned Christ? So before we go on, it probably it's important to take a moment to think about the gospel story quickly. I'm just going to give you a very fast-forward um, idea, gospel framework. So when we see God, God is at one who has created all things in his image and everything's created out of him. He calls us out. He's calling his people because of sin and brokenness. Even though God has created all things, even though he is a God of love and mercy and grace, there is a justice part of God that has to deal with sin and the fall. And that fall and sin is placed in our lives because of the curse, and we all have it. That has to be punished. That has to be destroyed. So there's a wrath part of God that's not fun to talk about, but it is. It's there. And it's the whole reason why he has given us Jesus Christ. But there's a people part of this story. The dead and trespasses and sin are in our life. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 identifies that. And Paul shares about how the unbelieving Gentile live in that. People, we are broken. We are in need of Christ and we are children of wrath. And so therefore, we need a rescuer. We need a savior. And then Jesus Christ comes in. He is the perfect one. He is righteous. He is holy. He is our priest. He is the one qualified to die on the cross and take upon himself our sin and our brokenness and everything that was deserved us in that punishment. And belief in that gives the opportunity for a person to be saved through faith. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. We have been made alive in Christ because of God's great love and mercy. So it's a beautiful story of an unbelieving heart where they're going through their life and living the, uh, the unbelieving uh, Gentile and not recognizing God. God displays his glory. God displays his mercy. He calls out, and it's called regenerating the heart. We've all been there. If you're a believer today, you've been through this process. Somewhere along your life, you recognized and saw God for who he really is and who Jesus Christ is because of that great love and mercy. So the response then is to believe with faith and repentance. Believing that Jesus Christ is all that he is. Believing that God is all who he is. And believing and recognizing that I need rescuing. And we are now in Ephesians 2 verse 10. It says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared before him. So let me ask you this question. What do you think happens when you learned 
Jesus Christ? What might happen when you think about the gospel to yourself daily? What would happen if you thought about that story daily? Think about grace and mercy daily. Think about Jesus Christ taking your place upon the cross in brutality to die. Think about how that would show up in your actions and in the way you live your life. Paul reminds the reader in verse 22 through 24 what happens when a person learned of Christ. A person's spiritual heart comes awake to the gospel and desires to put off the old self. You're like, what? Is it simple like that? Yeah. For example, here's a quote from Milton Vincent in a book called The Gospel Primer. Great read, nice and short. A little heavy on thoughts and ideas. That's why it's one that you probably want to go to on a daily basis. Just go back and, and read again and read again. But here's a pastor that came to the, to the, the idea that gospel needs to be more than I accepted, you know, received Christ in my life. It needs to be more than that. It needs to be more about me just trying to, you know, serve and be part of a church community. He took upon himself to find out how the gospel, understanding it, now moves into every component of his life. The way that he works um, as a pastor, with his family, with people that he interacts with, just being out in the community, he was finding that when he thought about the gospel, when he had conversations around the gospel, thinking about God, thinking about how we were, and thinking about who Jesus Christ was, started to realize that it showed up in his life in everyday interactions. Like a couple Sundays ago when I was um, uh, preaching in the gym, I was sharing with you about my interaction with trying to get furniture to our house, which took two months, unbelievable, and then all my interactions with the gal at the counter and the, the gal on the phone, you know, my human side, my, my, my old self is just on fire inside, and there's just this tension that I just like, ah, you know, I just wanted to be angry and get back. I'm like, do you rise up? But as I'm there in that moment, I'm thinking gospel. Okay, just remember, grace came to me. So grace first. <laughs> okay, grace back. Okay, I can calm down. It's all me. It's going to be all right. Eventually get the furniture. Maybe not in the, the time that I want it. And it finally did come, and we're really enjoying it. But this is how it shows up. He says in the quote, Gospel reveals to me the breathtaking glory and loveliness of God. And in doing so, it lures my heart away from the love of self and leaves me enthralled by him instead. The more I behold God's glory and grace in his gospel, the more lovingly he appears to me. And the more lovely he appears, the more self fades into the background like a former love interest who can no longer compete for my affections. I thought that was funny. It's like, that's such a random idea. But it's just kind of like that. 
you're having gospel conversation, you're thinking about rehearsing, your mind and your heart are thinking about God's grace, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness. How about this? The fact that you're even alive. Let's start there. How about this? That he gave you a new day. It doesn't take long when you're sitting there thinking about that. What you were really worked up about, when you're really just full of yourself, your meisticness coming out, kind of goes to the background. What does the gospel of wakefulness do? It lures our heart away from the love of self and leaves us captive by God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. This is good news. This is where the good news finally shows up. This is the power of God. This is real transformation, not just behavior modification. Paul goes on to mention how gospel conversation shows up in this practice. Verse 22 through 24. He says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupted through deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So again, back to that story with Dave Curie, refurnishing story, who was taking control of the physical. Dave and I were working hard, slaving away. In the spiritual, who's taking control of your soul? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is doing the restoring. Now let me tell you, there are times where that meistic, though, starts to come up, and you're like, I got it from here. We all have that tension. It's always going to be there. On this side of heaven, it's always going to be there. You will still have residue of the old self, the old nature. In, in some of the um, readings that I found, they, they title it the old man. The old man still speaks out. The old nature still has a conversation with you, but yet it is powerless. It has no control over you anymore. It is powerless, but it still speaks out. How do we know this? In Romans chapter 6, verse 6, we see the work of Jesus Christ taking the old self and crucifying the old self with him in order the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, not destroying the old self, but removing its power and putting the old self off. No longer its effectiveness can create a slavery-type environment for you. But the old self still has a conversation with you. Those words still come out. Those lies, those reminders of Satan coming in and saying, you can't do that. You're a horrible person. You are a monster. There is no way that you are qualified to serve Jesus Christ. Recognize that is the old self because Jesus Christ says, you are qualified. Why? Right there in Romans chapter 6, 6. Taking the old self. Jesus Christ took the old self, crucified it took its power away, and now, as a believing Christian, you are fully qualified to do his work, to point others to Jesus Christ. Therefore, Paul points to those believers back to Christ's restoring work. To have this conversation, put off the old self. But what does that mean? What does that look like? I want you to be careful here that you don't look at that as a, a to-do list or 
five things to better yourself. Start with putting the self off. This is not a religion. This is not a behavior-modifying thing that Paul's bringing up. Um, the legalist inside of you, the, the Pharisee within you wants to look at this and go, oh, that's great. I thought you had good news for me, Jeff, but no, nope, I hear something else that Paul's saying here. He's just like, get to work, do harder, try better, put those things off. No, be careful here. This is where Paul's going with this. In Christ's work in Romans 6.6, 6, because Jesus destroyed the power of old self, he put off the old self to nothing. So remember who's doing the restoring, chiseling away, working, removing, transforming. The old self wants to look at this like, okay, yeah, I've got to get my tools out. I've got to start working harder and start maybe memorizing a bunch of this and, and attending this or and serving over this. Those things are really good, but they're, they're good because they come out of this over here, a transforming work. You see, Jesus Christ put it to nothing. And because of his power and his work on the cross, you can do the same thing. You can put off the old self. We too are alive in Christ and can put off the old self to nothing by ending the conversations, first of all, with the old self through faith and repentance. Believing that Jesus Christ has firmly transformed you, you can have a new conversation with the old self saying, I don't believe you anymore. I don't believe in you anymore, old self. I don't believe in your lie. Your untruth has no power over me anymore. But in this new conversation, you can think about the gospel. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that a beautiful thing? That's what Paul's getting to. It's like, put off the old self. Have nothing to do with it. Because it has nothing to do with you anymore. You're freed from it. It's all busted up. It has no power. But yeah, it's going to speak out to you. But when it starts speaking out to you, remember, I'm speaking out to you and reminding your mind and renewing it. And by holding the glory of God in gospel conversation, you will naturally, like the pastor Milton was saying, those things will start to go to the background. When you're thinking upon the glories of God and the work he's doing in your life, you're putting off the old self. Here are examples of that. We died to Christ. Put off the old man. Don't be conformed by the world. And then he goes on and he says in uh, uh, 20 through 24, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put, off the, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And it's got you know, to be careful here that we're not going back to meistic. He's not talking about that. He's not saying go to the spirit of your mind. No, he's like, remember, you learned Christ, you received him, now you have the mind of Christ, and when you do a little bit of a study on this and dig a little bit deep, you're finding the spirit he's talking about here is the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. I was like, when is the Holy Spirit finally going to show up in this? It's right here. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. We find that in Galatians 5, 16 through 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit against the flesh, for these are op uh, opposite to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. 
Believer, you have noticed the tension within your mind in the conversations that you've had with the self. That's because the Holy Spirit is renewing your mind and your spiritual heart. This process is called sanctification. You are being sanctified. You are in a process of sanctification. That means there's times when the old self's going to come out. You've messed up. You got angry or you said things that weren't appropriate, whatever, or you're a part of some activity that's just destroying you. That's all part of sanctification. Never, ever has Paul ever said, get your act together first, and then finally this is going to happen. This is happening to you regardless what you think and how much you are obedient to it. The Holy Spirit is at work transforming you 100%. The part of this transformation process and sanctifying requires us to give our 100% as well, and it does come from new desire. The result of the Holy Spirit work bringing new life, a new creation, will have a new desire. To be enthralled, to put the gospel conversations in front of us. We'll be enthralled with God. We will want to love him and serve him and point others to Jesus Christ. So in closing, as the music team comes up, we learned Christ. We discovered the truth about the old self and the new self through gospel conversation. So that we desire to live as a new creation created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Please stand with me as we think about a time to respond to this great news. Non-believer, if there's anyone here this morning that has not received Christ into your life, I hope you heard God's grace and mercy upon you. I hope you heard that you don't need to get your life in order first before him to respond. He is responding. He is working. He is bringing truth. He is showing you his glory and purpose all around you. Believer, those who are in Christ, do not try to modify and change the way that you live through behavior changing, but lean upon the gospel, rehearse, think about it. That is putting the old self off. That's not works. That's just loving God. That's believing who God really is in Jesus Christ. Let's sing together and respond to him in glory. Let's sing to him and give him praise for the work and the newness that he's doing in our life. Mm -hmm.